This episode of the Power Connect podcast is brought to you by NRX, making it easier to buy and sell energy in competitive markets. It's like trying to go to the Wild West and saying, hey, I want to standardize the wagon. People be like, get out of here, you know? <laughs> New York City, you know? <laughs> right? It'd be like a Pace commercial. That's kind of what it's like in, in, the, in the broker world. Because think about it, like it's primarily a sales organization. Welcome into the Power Connect Podcast. I'm your host, Fred Davis. Episode 17 of the show happening on a Sunday. Yes, that's right. A Sunday edition of the show. Why a Sunday edition? Well, it's part three, the finale of our Understanding Competitive Market series with CEO from NRX, Mr. Nate Richards. And parts one and two have been absolutely tremendous. We've gotten great feedback from them. If you haven't checked them out thus far, I implore you to go do so. We're talking about the differences between retail versus wholesale, commercial and industrial, the role of the broker and all of it, and of course, kind of the genesis of where deregulated markets came from, deregulated versus regulated. We get into all of that. It's a wonderful primer, and of course, you know, talking to Nate when we pitched this idea, talking to him a few weeks ago about it, and of course, shout out to Nate and of course, Mr. Jason Beck for helping make all this thing come together. We just had a great time recording this. I've learned a lot, and hopefully you guys have learned a lot from listening to this, and of course, if you couldn't tell already, Nate Richards, extremely passionate about his field, about the the competitive markets and why they're so important. And of course, we're going to get into a little bit about what NRX does, a little more in depth, uh, how NRX came about. And of course, he's no stranger to the entrepreneurial game. So we're going to talk to Nate Richards a little bit about that. And then of course, we're going to get into kind of what does he see moving forward? What is his kind of idea as to how markets are going to progress? And then of course, last but certainly not least, we'll get his thoughts on the biggest misconception of competitive markets. So Without further ado, please welcome to the program the finale of Understanding Competitive Markets, the CEO of NRX, Mr. Nate Richards. I came to Houston to go to Rice. My grandfather retired here. He's worked 47 years for Shell. Only employer he ever had. He started in a San bygone Fran era, isn't it? He started in the mail room, went off to World War II ran a supply depot, came back, went to Knight Accounting School, got an associate's degree, and retired as assistant treasurer of Shell US here in Houston. Lived in New York City, and eventually when they built one and two Shell here downtown, moved here, actually across the street from okay. where we're sitting right now. Okay. Um, and so, you know, that's kind of what brought me to Houston and kind of made me think about energy, what, what brought me to, to go to college here. And while I was here, I worked for Houston Industries. I had a guy that recruited me. Uh, while I was actually still at Rice and got a chance to work downtown and I bought my first sports coat and commuted and it was like really felt like a big a big guy and that's kind of really where I learned about just the whole utilities side of energy. Meanwhile I came to Rice initially to I thought I'd be a programmer my whole life and build software and I was totally good with that. Along the way, I had to take these economics classes and I found I just had a passion for economics. To me, I thought, I thought economics was really about like dollars and cents or like GDP and stock markets and that kind of thing. But really what I learned um, in college was it's really about the science of decision-making, right? How do we get, uh, it's, it's about efficiency. It's about why do people choose one thing instead of something else, both in a micro sense and as a macro sense. And how does everything sort of fit together? That's the science of decision-making. And um, I really got excited about it. And so I said, hey, I'm going to do both degrees. So I did that while working full-time all four years. Like I said, in 99, I got a chance to work at Houston Industries. And, and that was kind of my connection to utilities. And so 
it was the sort of, we were prepping for, in 99, prepping for Y2K was the number one issue, as Just, all utilities. I remember. <laughs> I remember. All the COBOL programmers, right? And so I wasn't a COBOL programmer, so I didn't have to, uh, have to, to get into the, the ancient code. But we were also prepping for deregulation, for kind of the changes to the business that were going to come as uh, the gas and power utilities kind of went in different directions, number one, and also as the retailing component started to become its own thing. They also rebranded as Reliant while I was there, kind of in preparation before they were Houston Industries because again, monopolies don't really need branding. You don't have a marketing no. department when you're a monopoly because you don't have to acquire customers because you can't lose them. You acquire customers by someone moving in. And so, so there's a ton of change going on in the utility space. Um, and then I guess I have a passion for software making things better, making uh, more efficient processes through systematizing and automating these sort of manual, boring, non-value add tasks. And so kind of those two things are, are my passions is energy, economics, and technology. And so this business has been a great opportunity for me to really showcase and use my skills and my passions to kind of solve a, a big challenge, which is there is no market. Yeah. So there's a market in terms of a word on a PowerPoint slide, but there's no place you could go, no system you could observe that is a retail market for energy. It doesn't exist. There's no exchange. There's no data hub. There's no observable price. You couldn't say, what are the 12-month contract going for in ERCOT right now? Can't do it. There's no observable price ticker. Uh, there is no retail market as a physical embodiment. And that is what we're trying to create. I wanted to create, from when I first learned about deregulated energy, I want to create a digital transaction that allows an observable retail market for consumers and all the market participants, for brokers, for suppliers, and for consumers, for all three parts of the energy ecosystem. The company you started before, though, that you've had for, what, almost 15, 20 years now yeah. is... Consulting company. So my first business was building software, primarily in the oil and gas space, all aspects okay. of oil and gas. And so I did that. Uh, was was a great experience. Learned a lot about what happens before the gas and power kind of component. This is like the last mile of the energy ecosystem okay. is the utility, right? That's sort of converting all of our energy kind of mining and hydrocarbon and, and supply sourcing activities in the world, chemistry, logistics, all of those things that have to come upstream of right. generating power or bringing gas into people's homes. So I worked in that segment of energy, upstream, midstream, downstream service companies. We built all kinds of software. Uh, so that was my first entrepreneurial uh, business. I started that in 2003. So doing that for so many years, and like I said, you started Interex in 2019, correct? Yeah, right. So what was kind of the genesis? What was that aha moment for yeah. you when you decided, you know, I mean, so obviously you're a pretty smart guy. Yeah, what along was the way, along, so I, again, in 99, going back before I started my first company, uh, I worked in the space. So it's been in my mind about deregulation, about the utility space from the very, from before I was even uh, running my own company. And then after having that success, along the way, I actually worked for a company that has a, a large wholesale brokerage business. And um, they said, hey, uh, we did some work for them, helping to do some trade capture and commissions management on the wholesale side. And they said, hey, we have kind of a similar problem on the retail side of dealing with our commissions and could you help us out? That was kind of the, if you want to go back to the point at which this story sort of was born, 
it, it started there. Okay. Um, and then along the way, I went to that company and said, hey, actually, I hired a, a marketing company to do a market study early on, many years ago, probably probably 17 years ago now. Oh, so uh, this has been, Interax has been in the back of your brain for a minute. Yeah, I've been thinking about, <laughs> uh, when I say that it's my passion, it really brings together the, the areas of, of kind of the world that I've really focused on okay. for decades. I mean that, not just like as an adver advertisement, I mean that I'm passionately purpose-driven to build this market, and that's what I've been after from the beginning, even though the market said no at the beginning. They said, you know, we're not ready for that. Right. Uh, what we really need is a way to track deals, get pricing done, manage our commissions, and that was our first product, right? We built that for brokers because brokers, again, are two-thirds to now 75, 80, 85% of the commercial market, and so we about 60 terawatt hours of annual delivered customer load is transacted on our platform. To put that in perspective, that's the U.S. commercial market in terms of it's competitively served, okay, is around, in 2020 was around 600 terawatt hours. So it's roughly 10% of the commercial industrial market is transacted on through one of our broker customers these are not our customers right these you're our customers customers right okay right, right. i want to be okay. clear we're not a broker we're not in the market right we don't we, we're a technology software. provider exactly our goal isn't to become a broker sure there are people taking that path that's not our path we believe that the brokers are already there serving the customers why not build a technology platform that lets them be even better and bring want to make their lives easier exactly I want to make the ultimately the transaction easier. Yeah. I think whoever unlocks that secret will have something of great value, regardless of sort of how they get there. Okay. And so that's really the, the play that I've been after from the very beginning. I hired this, this your white company. whale. What's up? Is this your white whale? Yes, that's right. And it may kill me too. By the way, <laughs> by the way, by the way, uh, yeah, yeah. I may not live to tell about it. Uh, this is a very hard industry to serve. I'll tell you. It's like trying to go to the Wild West and saying, hey, I want to standardize the wagon. People would be like, get out of here, you know? <laughs> New York City, you know? <laughs> right? It'd be like a Pace commercial. That's kind of what it's like in, in, the, in the broker world. Because think about, like, it's primarily a sales organization, right? Um, the idea that they would take all their customer data and give it to some third-party guy and put it in his database, you know, like, what if he ran off with it, you know? Uh, that's what the early days were like for me. He was like, we can't trust you. You know, you could, this is all we have is customers and what they're paying and when their contracts renew. And we sort of had to show like, one, we're not going to become a broker. Like that's not our play is not to come and rip you off. Two, that we're like, we're a serious technology company. We have audits, we have security, we have insurance, right? We hire good developers. We have good practices and that we're here to stay. And we've, we've lasted and it's taken a while to kind of build steam, but you know, we've doubled for the last two years. So we've really found a huge amount of traction, even did our first acquisition last year of, a, of another company on the supplier side. And so this is what we're playing for is to try and really, I wouldn't say revolutionize the industry because, but really bring an opportunity for the industry to kind of realize its full potential, okay. which is bring some technology to this whole thing and bring a better experience for end use consumers. Well, and would you argue too that as the, as the genre, well, as the industry gets younger, 
Mm. that the adoption of technology is a lot easier to absorb because I mean, look, you and I are in our forties. And so we're in that, you know, we're in that sandwich generation where we're still old enough to remember newspapers and rotary phones. But then we also, you know, right. can appreciate, you know, going to our kids and say, hey, can you show me how to do this TikTok? Because I'm still oh, trying yeah. to figure this thing out. Yeah, 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 yeah. Um, that's such a good point that I was born in 78. So I, I'm definitely in that the two or three year window that sometimes get called Xers and sometimes are Ys and sometimes they call them transition, right. uh, which means a totally different thing than transition means today, <laughs> by the way. Uh, but these are the these are the you know we were the kids that like didn't have computers until like halfway through elementary school yeah. when kind of Nintendo's kind of came out and then Apple II's showed up in the computer lab and then you were doing we thought Oregon, know, Trail Oregon Trail was, was the greatest exactly. thing ever. Yes, Oregon we learned Trail. what dysentery was. Digital high five. <laughs> yes, ultimately, little Sally dies of dysentery unless you can shoot that squirrel. So <laughs> you can only have cocked that wagon correctly. Damn it. Yeah. So. Uh, so, so the cool thing is, like, you know, I can appreciate that this is a human. This is very much like the insurance business. This is a relate, local relationship business, right? Um, th- there's, there's expertise. And so the broker, to me, is, like, is a great thing that, to me, should be institutionalized in all markets and, and should rise to its highest and best purpose, which is serving more than just the retail supply need of customers. And I think this is what will happen in the future. So I'm calling it. All right. Calling so- the market. We'll, we'll get you out of here with this two-part question, um, and and with uh, my boy Nate Richards, there's a, there's there's never a short answer, which I can appreciate. <laughs> One, what's the uh, in the in the twenty plus years that you've been in and out of this market, and and you know on the outside looking in, being an insider. I mean, like I said, you've got the entire gamut of experience when it comes to all facets of how power is generated from soup to nuts. Biggest misconception of the market is, and number two. Where does the market go? What, where do you see it heading? And it could be as little as the rest of the summer versus, you know, I mean, obviously I know what you're trying to do with it from your side of things, but where yeah. do you see this thing ultimately playing out? Okay. Biggest misconception. I would have to say, I think the biggest misconception is that competitive markets are about price. That they're about, ultimately, I think some people hear competition and they think, oh, a gallon of gasoline. Right. Oh, this is an electrons are a commodity. You can't put a logo on, a, on an electron or a wave that's coming through your house. And so what we'll do is we'll use competition to strip out all profit from the market, drive everybody to, to zero, and um, that'll be good for consumers. Well, I think it's a massive mis- As an economist, where there's no profit, there's no innovation. If there's no risk to take and profit to gain, people don't take risk, and it is risk takers who bring the new inventions, the new innovations that change and bring massive changes in people's lives, ultimately, whether it's a business or a, or, a, or a house. I think some people really think that markets are about driving suppliers into the ground, stripping all of their profit out and getting them all onto Apple's, Apple's basis and forcing them to uh, take such little profit uh, that, they're, that they're effectively out of business. And I think it's just ridiculous if you really understood markets, you would understand there has to be a fair profit in order to incentivize that risk-taking. So really, the answer is that competitive markets are really there for innovation. It's the profit incentive that a competitive market brings that is the direct driver of that innovation. And it is innovation, again, I'll go back to the telecom competitive market example, look at the massive sea change that has come in data and telecommunications because 
it all started with the catalyst of breaking up a monopoly. So I think that's the biggest thing is it's not misusing the idea of a market as a, well, let's strip out and really give the rock bottom price with no profit. And doesn't the monopoly, at least they're not overcharging. Well, if you get enough competition, nobody's overcharging. In fact, some people are undercharging so bad that when they wake up and mark to market their books, they're actually not making money and losing money just to get market share. Well, doesn't the consumer win there too? Right, as long as, uh, until they go out of business and then they gotta go find a, a different supplier. So I think if anything, markets are benefiting consumers uh, just in tremendous ways. And the freeze is a great example of that because again, who, ate, who wrote the, the, uh, the checks to cover the, the shortfalls? It's primarily the retail, uh, the retail market. And then where do I see it going, markets? You know, I'd like to I'd like to believe in the Goldilocks notion that, you know, all markets will deregulate and that there'll be some sort of federal mandate that says, hey, we're going to do competitive markets everywhere. Monopolies can continue and should continue to own the public good of infrastructure. And but you've got to bring options for consumers around their energy products and services. I don't see that happening, although I dream about it. I think I believe uh, that, too. You know, the challenge, the challenge is without being partisan, neither party will embrace it enough. I think on the, on the right, there's too much alignment with the traditional monopoly politically. And although on the right, uh, the party line is competitive markets, you know, free market economics, lack of an over-regulation or too many uh, tight rules, winner-picking type rules, and we should to the extent that we can and is and is safe for consumers let the market determine what the best solutions are and let let you know supply and demand drive efficiencies however you don't see enough advocates enough that's there aren't there there are advocates for markets on both sides of the aisle i want to be clear this is one of those issues that really is a bipartisan issue and there are there are good and bad actors on both sides of the aisle it's not a it doesn't align necessarily on party lines i think on the on the left the challenge is um, and over and, and over uh, excitement about consumer protection, like oh my gosh, we can't have grandma uh, picking between her Parkinson's medication and paying her light bill. You know that would be that would be terrible, and we need to protect grandma from that happening. Um, and I would just say, you know, we're not regulating the car business, we're not regulating breakfast cereal, we're not regulating you know hair dye, we're not because someone might sell, we're not regulating nutraceuticals, vitamins because someone might sell grandma, you know pencil shavings and call it, uh, you know, a health thing. Uh, we say, hey, grandma, that's not a good idea. Hey, the FDA doesn't approve that. You know, that's, hey, look for this stuff. We could have give guidance, but we're not, we're not saying, well, really, we need to make the government be the seller of all cars to protect grandma. But yet at energy, we say that the government has to sort of pick a monopoly and they need to be the seller of all energy to protect consumers. It just doesn't, it doesn't really add up. So I think they're kind of erroneous thinking on, on both parties. Honestly, they're, they're both guilty of kind of uh, old ways of thinking. And I think that just takes time to kind of have newcomers come into the political spectrum who bring newer ideas, as you were saying, people who sort of grew up us and younger, who kind of, they don't remember the monopoly in telecom. And so <laughs> that kind of cuts both ways. They go like, why does energy work this way? And also they don't remember that there was a monopoly one day, uh, that the reason we have all of these innovation in telecom is because of that, uh, the lack of the monopoly. And the last thing I'll say is that, you know, Markets are really on the radar of the biggest kind of movers and shakers out there. Google has a great uh, white paper they put out in 2016, which was their sort of path to net zero. You know, how does Google get to net zero? They're buying energy primarily in regulated, 
traditionally regulated markets, how are they going to do that? And they're global. I mean, that's a massive problem. You know, these markets vary uh, globally in terms of how many options there really are. Uh, you might go like, well, I bet there's a monopoly pretty much everywhere else. Well, actually, all of the EU, to join the EU, you have to have a competitive energy market. It's a requirement for joining. Ukraine will make a competitive energy market before they join the EU. Uh, you know, so these new applicants in their process, this is why they can't just sort of join overnight. There's all these requirements to sort of having open markets and allowing sort of free price transparency for consumers. Google has this white paper from 2016 called Achieving Our 100% Renewable Energy Purchasing Goal and Going Beyond. That's the name of the white paper. If you go Google search for that, you'll find it. And, and they say that unlocking competitive energy markets can drive continued growth in volume, leading to economies of scale that spur a new wave of cost reductions. This virtuous cycle may be a self-sustaining model to achieve widespread adoption and increasingly cost-effective energy at scale. The translation is that markets, and if you look through this paper, it's a short one. It's like 10 pages. Markets are the primary vehicle through which Google's achieving net zero, right? You think of them as like, well, they're in California, you know, uh, socialism. And they're labeled with all these sort of labels that are, again, unfair. They're trying to do this. And what they found is where there are markets, this is an easy problem to solve. Where there are no markets, way, way hard. Good luck going to North Carolina and buying wind energy. Can't do it. So there, where there's a really powerful monopoly, you really just have no options. And so you just don't see data centers going in as much, uh, or they're having to sort of buy in location A. Sell, so, so the model that Google uses is in the wholesale market, they go and buy green energy, let's say from a wind farm, they sell that same energy, they turn around, sell it right into the wholesale market, but they retire the RECs, the renewable energy credits, and then they rebuy from the same wholesale market through the monopoly. Retail. So the regulated retailer who's selling them kind of a mix, yeah. right? They rebuy the same amount of power. So they buy, sell, buy. Really? Uh-huh. They retire the wrecks and they say, we're buying our own green power from ourselves just through this retailer who, who gets a upcharge to sort of shape it and deliver it to our data center. So, and they talk about it in this paper. This model have a whole a diagram to make that simpler. Um, but they've really kind of pioneered at least the template for how this is done outside of markets or where there's only a competitive wholesale market. And they go further to say where there's no competitive wholesale market, we really kind of don't have options. We have to get really creative with our accounting. So I think markets will be the primary vehicle to deliver what we're dreaming of, of net zero or sustainability or ESG or what, like all the sort of different acronyms. Without markets, I don't see us getting there. Aside from helping digitize and make brokers' lives easier, what can NRX do? What can NRX do to help with this competitive market? You know, I think we try to have a voice, and I appreciate you having me on you know, today and, and helping to bring a voice to this, this slice of the energy puzzle. Uh, and it really is that. I don't think anyone, anyone has the answer, and the reason is there is no the answer. There's many, many answers, and we need probably all of them to sort of get where we're trying to go as a society. We're trying to do our little part, which is to kind of help competitive markets really achieve their highest and best use, which is bringing efficiency to the process. And we think that technology has a role to play and that we're kind of out in front with this, not just the ideology of it, but the execution of it. And you know, we've amassed a pretty good lump of transaction volume and, and got a lot of mind share in the marketplace and uh, really exciting announcements yet to come. 
Yeah, thanks so much for having me and thank you for what you're doing, which is just bringing voices uh, in this energy community, you know, out connecting them with listeners, with ears. Appreciate it. Thank you so much for that, Mr. Nate Richards. You can catch all of the NRX Understanding Competitive Markets series on thepowerconnect.net, the website. Go to it, check it out. And of course, we're also on Apple and Spotify. Follow, subscribe, do it. You will be glad that you did. And if you listen to us on Apple Podcasts, give us a five-star rating. Why? Because we think we do a pretty good job. And so far through 17 episodes, we've gotten a lot of good feedback. Also, too, uh, I hope you guys enjoyed the News You Can Use feature, which we just broke out this past week. Stories from around the energy world. And, of course, we always try to throw four, three or four stories in there that are all energy. And then, of course, we throw one in there that's, uh, you know, maybe a little bit tongue-in-cheek. Maybe it's a little bit fun to follow. Whatever it is... But at the very least, it's like an espresso shot for your brain, ladies and gentlemen, of a of energy news to get you going on your Monday, Wednesday, and Friday. And of course, look, if you want to be a podcast partner, if you want to help sponsor the show, whatever it is you want to be involved with the Power Connect podcast, give us a follow on LinkedIn, Fred Davis and or the Power Connect. Hell, follow us both. We'll be, you'll be glad you did. And of course, if you just want to reach out to me directly via email, fred at thepowerconnect.net. Fred at thepowerconnect.net. Once again, thank you. Once again, huge thank you to Nate Richards from NRX, Mr. Jason Beck. You guys have been absolutely phenomenal, the entire NRX team. And, of course, anybody that's enjoyed this podcast series, let's do that with your business as well, all right? Hopefully you like what you heard. We can do this in any form or fashion. And, again, I've had a great time doing it and certainly learned a lot, and hopefully you can enjoy it as well. As always, shout out to everybody for listening to the podcast, participating, the audience, the guests, everybody. Don't forget, we got Joe Britton coming up this week. We've got Peter Fiakowski and Carol Douglas, authors of the book Climate Restoration. And of course, Joe Britton is the executive director of the Zero Emissions Transportation Association, talking all things electric vehicles and why he's pushing for 100% EV adoption by 2030. Ambitious! Very much so. Will it happen? Well, stick around on Tuesday, and we'll let you know about that as part of the podcast. This has been the Power Connect Podcast, connecting the energy transition one conversation at a time. Wake up, all the builders. Time to build a new land. I know we could do it if we all lend a hand. The only thing we have to